On the show today, Spencer and I will be looking at the news of the week, of course. We will be discussing some scary medical news that grabbed headlines. Also, the former Pope, not Pope Francis, but Pope Emeritus Benedict, has passed, and we will discuss that. Pope Francis is still alive, folks. Oh, and the reigning champ of killing has retained its title in 2022 for yet another year, and the DIE mob has come for the Church of England. As we move into our Bible topic, we will be looking at an article, a plea from a continuationist to cessationists. Now, that is a lot to get through, so enough talking about what we are going to talk about. Let's talk about it. In. This is Religionless Christianity. I'm your host, Spencer. This is my beautiful wife, Nikki. Ooh. And we are so glad that you are here today. If you're new, uh, don't let the name fool you. We are very religious, very Christian folk. Uh, but the world that we live in, the country we live in, is not. Uh, they've become very secular, very religionless, you could say. And that's where the name comes from. So we're going to do our best to figure out how we can live a life that's pleasing to God in this very secular world. Uh, that's kind of the aim of this show, and we hope we can help you with that today. And uh, we do have a lot of stories to get through. We're going to do our best to get through them as quickly as we possibly can. Uh, but before we get to any of it, honey, is there anything you would like to say? Um, I don't really have any prayer requests, except I know you're still talking with that Mormon I don't know if he's a friend now. He's been talking to him for a while. Um, it's an ongoing discussion they're having. Yeah, so, so please pray for Connor. I've mentioned him in the past. He was the fellow that reached out to me about a computer I was thinking about selling. And somehow, you know, he was a Mormon. And we've been in this about two and a half to three week long discussion now, kind of back and forth on faith and uh, Christianity. And I recently purchased a book because uh, I don't know a lot about the Mormon faith. I'm, you know, I, I know a little bit. I know enough to know that it's not that biblical Christianity. Yeah. Um, so I went out and I purchased a book uh, that's actually written by the president of the Christian podcast community. We've had him on this podcast before, Andrew Rappaport. And the book's called What Do They Believe? And it's sort of a, you know, short, condensed kind of systematic theology on Western religions. Mormonism is one of those. And so I went and picked that up, going to give that a read to just to learn a little bit more about the Mormon faith. I'll have that book linked in the show notes if you guys care to go pick up a copy of that for yourself. You know, if you want to know more about Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, Catholicism, these sorts of things. So you can have the opportunity to share the gospel with them. It's a great resource. And in the last week, uh, We've been blessed as well to be invited on Andrew's podcast. He does the Rap Report uh, weekly podcast. We've been on there talking about justification and sanctification, which has been really good. And as soon as those episodes post, I'll have links to those so you guys can go give those a listen. And if you don't want to wait for that, you can go find all of Andrew's podcasts on the Christian Podcast Community where we are proud members, along with about 55 other podcasters, good, godly Christian men and women, 
you can go find those there. And the beauty is one, you know, subscription to that feed and you get all 55 of us showing up on your whatever podcast player you're you're on apple podcast spotify wherever wherever it is um they are there so go check that out so one last uh plug here before we get into the news you guys know that we love cardinal contingency solutions we talk about them every week and i just want to remind you guys if you have a missionary team to consider reaching out to cardinal you know, lest you find yourself in a situation like we've talked about in the past, where mission groups found themselves in a collapsing country, (laughs) civil unrest, and you're trying to figure out how do I get out of a country where the government's failing, the citizenry is rising up, and things are getting pretty hairy. Well, why try to figure it out on your own when Cardinal already exists, (laughs) and they can figure it out for you, and just give you a good product and a great training plan um, before you even step out the door. That's what they exist for. And they're the best in the world at doing it. So go give Team Cardinal a look. Again, they will be down in the show notes. So all right. First one of the year. Our first yearly or our first of the year trek through the valley of the shadow of death. As we take a look at our news of the week. And uh, we mentioned in the open that there was a medical scare this week. And that is right, folks. A very scary medical uh, situation arose. You might not have heard about, but Pastor John MacArthur had a medical scare this previous Sunday. And he wasn't able to preach his second service. What? Who did you think we were talking about? Oh, you probably thought we were talking about Damar Hamlin. No, 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 no. We're talking about Johnny Mac, Pastor MacArthur, uh, Grace Community Church. It's uh, as far as I understand, he preached his morning service, but had to remove himself due to just not really feeling great uh, is about all you can really gather from it. Haven't really gotten any word on what was wrong with Pastor MacArthur. But Grace Community did release a little update, basically saying uh, he was just a little bit worn out, basically, from all of his whatever travels, and he does a thousand different things. So he stepped away. They said he's doing fine. Hopefully, he should be back up mm-hmm. and preaching again very soon. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. So please keep Pastor MacArthur in your prayers. He has been a great man of God for many years. Uh, The Lord's going to take him home someday, probably too soon, but hopefully he'll let him stick around for a little bit longer. I know you'd like to meet him since you're in his seminary. Yeah, I would. You know, I went to the Puritans conference at Grace Community and, you know, talking to friends back here and they're like, did you go up and shake his hand? I'm like, yeah, that seems tacky. And I'm not just going to walk up and be like, hey, you know, he's not a celebrity. He's a pastor. I just appreciate his teaching. So uh, I didn't do that. I restrained myself. But uh I do enjoy his teaching. I have many of his books and I do go to his seminary. Um, you didn't even go up and like talk to James White when he was at our church, did you? I didn't. I, <laughs> I'm i not a fanboy. I try to avoid doing that, but um, please pray for him. Also, we are not insensitive. I am aware of what happened to Damar Hamlin. Do not want to overlook it. Please pray for Damar Ham, uh, Hamlin. 
it does sound the last I heard that his vitals apparently had come back. Uh, I know there's some mm-hmm. conflicting reports about how many times he sort of went into cardiac arrest or whatever. Um, but he did mm-hmm. bounce back. I, I've, supposedly he's still in critical condition. So just pray that he would be returned back to perfect health. Um, that's what I'm praying for. Whether that means a return back to the NFL or just a back to a somewhat normal life. Just pray for him. And they did have a good moment on ESPN of all places with uh, Dan Orlovsky, uh, who I will claim as a former Detroit Lions quarterback. I will claim Dan Orlovsky. And he was praying on air on ESPN of all platforms, open air praying for uh, Damar Hamlin. Mm. And we got this article here from the New York Post, I think, but you can go give it a listen. You know, just a simple prayer. He didn't mention the name of Jesus, which would have been great if he did. But either way, huge step in the right direction and a huge uh, shout out to Dan Orlovsky for actually having the spiritual, you know, I guess, gumption to actually pray on air. He even mentioned Mm -hmm. in his prayer that, like, we know that prayer works. We know that you hear us. (laughs) So heal him. You know, and what a great thing to to see on national television. So shout out to Dan Orlovsky. Do you know anything about Damar Hamlin's medical situation? Oh. So for those of you who aren't big sports fans, Damar Hamlin is a young man. He plays in the secondary, you know, sort of a defensive back for the Buffalo Bills. And uh, what day was it on Monday night? I believe they were playing a game against the Cincinnati Bengals and he took a pretty He's on defense, so he went to tackle a receiver, a pretty mundane tackle, nothing hard. And they went to the ground. He tried to stand up, kind of stumbled, and then collapsed on the ground, had cardiac mm-hmm. arrest. Oh, I knew of um, that, that it was cardiac. Yeah, I thought so, you meant like right now, something no, new. <laughs> so they came out, they you know administered CPR on the field. They weren't sure if he was going to live or die. Uh, so kudos to the medical staff there. They um, resuscitated him. And then rushed him off to uh, the hospital in Cincinnati, where again, sounds like he's at least at some respect making a recovery. So that is great. Pray for DeMar Hamlin. Pray for Pastor MacArthur. We'd like to see both of them restored to perfect health. That would be a wonderful testimony to the goodness of our God. Now, moving through the news here, we don't really have a lot of predictions. We're not going to do predictions on this show. A lot of podcasts might have done predictions at the end of last year or predictions early this year. I'm not really that smart to give predictions on what's going to happen. And if 2020 through 2022 has taught us anything, (laughs) the world is moving far too fast Mm -hmm. for us to really have any idea of what's coming. You know, we could have hard drives in our brains. We could have, (laughs) you know, AI on a large scale uh, part of our lives by the end of this year. Mm-hmm. Who knows? We could even go so far as to see the Detroit Lions win a Super Bowl. I would not put anything past 2023. <laughs> Might even see the Lions win a Super Bowl. So rather than make predictions, what I would hope to do is just uh, try to f- remind us to not lose focus on the things that are important, the things that were important at the end of last year, they're still important this year. I think what's important, we can make predictions on what we're going to do, 
we're going to be more grounded in the word, read more, meditate on his word more, just to be ready for whatever does come our way this year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that could be the prediction you can make is uh, Satan's not going to rest on his laurels. He's not right. going to say, boy, the last three years were pretty wild. I'll give him a I'm break. I'm going to take a break now. <laughs> so get yeah. in the word, get studied up, steal your soul. You know, I jokingly talk about gird up your loins before we get into the news, but you no, know, gird up your loins <laughs> with the word of God, you know, because things aren't going to necessarily get any better. And, you know, one of the devil's devices that we've really seen kind of ramp up in the last few years is just distraction. You know, he throws so much at us so fast that we tend to lose track of what we're even fighting against. You know, when you think it's one battle, then two, three more things pop up that you're trying to fight as well. And, you know, it's kind of that, you know, fire hose effect almost where you don't even know how to get started with it. So that's what we're going to really predict that in a sense, you know, we need to be refocused on the battles that mm-hmm. uh, we were fighting because distractions are going to come and try to, you know, turn our attentions away from the battles that we should be fighting. So that really brings us to our first major article here. And if you just want to read the headline, honey. Abortion is leading cause of death worldwide for fourth year in a row. Statistics reveal that abortion was the leading cause of death worldwide for the fourth year in a row, as the number of abortions nearly quadrupled the number of deaths from infectious diseases in 2022. Yeah, completely outrageous. And you can go through this article, and they give a lot of stats on this uh, topic of abortion and just global deaths. But in here... It mentions that there were 73 million induced abortions each year, according to the World Health Organization. And it says in here that the second leading cause of death was communicable diseases at only 13 million, then cancer deaths at 8 million, 5 million deaths from smoking, 2.5 million deaths from alcohol-related incidents, and 2 million deaths from AIDS. So communicable diseases, cancer, smoking, alcohol, and AIDS all accounted for less deaths combined than abortion last year. So that's crazy. But it also mentions in here, like that headline said, this is the fourth year in a row that the most dangerous place on earth is in the womb of a mother. That is a wild statistic of survival. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 73 million. And, you know, we're certainly doing our part here in America. You know, thankfully, last year, you know, we did win some battles in that front, which is why, again, we can't lose sight because 2022 was an amazing year in America, at least for, you know, this abortion issue and really the cause of life. You know, we overturned Roe versus Wade in this nation. So that was wonderful. But we also saw along with that, you know, sort of the abortion advocates, you know, those who are really willing to go and fight hard and defend what we would consider their access to Moloch worship. But they went and fought hard and won a lot of battles in the States. So, you know, looking at 
kind of our prediction here, we need to remain uh, vigilant (laughs) and not lose focus on this issue. And we need to not be disheartened about some of the, you know, state results that we saw. We should have expected that to happen. So don't get disheartened by that. We need to continue to fight, need to continue to shine a light on this, pray to really end this barbaric practice and pray that we would wind up saving, you know, more of the lives of our precious little children. We can't be distracted that, well, Roe happened last year. Ah, it looked like we lost some state. So now let's move on to something different. Yeah. Don't lose focus. Don't get distracted. Yeah. Because Keep we are praying. making ground. Our Roe. kids pray that every night yeah. that abortion would be illegal and that people would just stop doing it every single night. After dinner, we do our Bible study and it's something the kids are. Yeah, they're very good at praying that every time. And that's, you know, a lot of where I think the change is going to come. It's not going to be. Well, in 2024, now we have 10 million abortions worldwide. Probably not going to be that drastic. But if we can instill this idea that life is important, you know, in our children, then over the course of the next decade or decade or two, we will see these um, these abortion numbers fall worldwide. And, you know, as access to health care becomes better and, you know, all that sort of stuff, then hopefully we'll see this number decrease and that's our prayer. We ask that you would continue to pray, keep fighting, you know, keep speaking the truth, vote for people that actually stand up for life and understand life and the importance of it. Vote for those people. You know, that's important. So that's something we need to not lose sight of. Four years running, <laughs> the uh, you could call that the undisputed champ of killing babies uh, is abortion. But in the same vein, you know, something to not lose sight of. Again, another one of the battles that we were fighting last year. We're going to continue to fight this year. So if you want to read this headline. Non-binary Anglican priest making a huge difference in normalizing it for children accused of grooming. The Church of England's first so-called non-binary priest has gone beyond accepting his newly manufactured identity by going into schools, doing assemblies, and making a huge difference in normalizing it for children. Bingo Allison is a 36-year-old father of three and a priest ordained in the Church of England. Allison told the Liverpool Echo that God guided him away from the two sexes delineated in the book of Genesis, resulting in a schism between the strongly religious and conservative tradition he was raised in, which he suggested some might call bigoted in a new gender queer lifestyle. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So Bingo Allison, how does Bingo Allison become a non-binary, or as we would say, confused male, how does he become a priest in the Church of England? Well, the article goes on in here to say, the Church of England has also issued pastoral guidance adopted at General Synod in 2018, delineating how to approach and accommodate transsexuals. So they're making room in the Church of England on how do we accommodate transsexuals. And it says, 
For Anglicans already baptized who have become transsexuals, the House of Bishops commends the right of affirmation of baptismal faith as a central feature of any service to recognize liturgically a person's gender transition. The guide further recommends identifying the preference of a transgender person in respect of their name and gendered pronouns. So how does he uh, get ordained and how does the Church of England, you know, deal with non-binary and transgender? No, they just accept it. They just go, ah, well, just, yeah, adhere to it. Call them their made-up name. Call them their made-up pronoun. Give them a baptism. And you know what? When it's all said and done, just ordain them as priests as well. Easy as pie. That's how they handle it. You know, what's wow. the famous quote from Vody Bacham? If you never want to deal with persecution, just compromise. <laughs> well, there you go. That's the Church of England for you. Boy, this transsexual issue is pretty tricky. How is the church going to deal with it? Cave. Yep, can do. We'll just cave, um, and that'll make our life easy. They're just afraid Won't of make any... make your afterlife easy, but... Perse- they'll never have persecution, you know? No, because you'll it just cave on all of your principles the second things get difficult. Jesus promised we would be persecuted for our faith. So, you know, the Church of England, I don't know what it once was. You know, they were not great during the Puritan days in the 1700s. They aren't great in our day in the 2020s. So I don't know what they once were, uh, but they seem to be bleeding out pretty quickly here as far as the church goes. And at least currently, the LGBTQ and the diversity, inclusion and equity mafia seems to be holding the knife, you could say. Um, but like the abortion article that we mentioned, you know, and now this one, you know, the DIE infiltration of the church, you know, these are issues that aren't going away. We spent a lot of last year talking about diversity, inclusion, and equities coming for your church. Yeah. They're coming and they, they want your church bad. And here's just another example in the church of England, you're talking about a national church, it's just like, oh, boy, this is a touchy subject. We'll just cave. You know, they might have had a lot of authority or a lot of authority to speak on this issue biblically. Instead, they just caved to the spirit of the age and the DIE mafia. So just taking over. They're taking over and that's going to continue <sighs> into this year. So, again, don't lose focus. You know, these God haters, they are going to seek to steal, kill and destroy because that's what their father does. Um, they're still pursuing the destruction of life in the case of abortion, destruction of the church, as we see here with this non-binary priest. So we can't lose sight of that and just think that, you know, somehow the Republicans voting the right speaker of the house in is going to somehow fix this. It's just more obvious, like to tell like who's um, a true believer. You know, some people think I'm a Christian because... I go to church. I mean, even unbelievers know how ridiculous that is. You can't fool anybody that you're a Christian and you're going, you know, and supporting this. Like they can tell, like, I know you're going to church there, but I don't think you're a Christian. No, I mean, this bingo Allison fella, like he's there to make a mockery of Christianity. That's why he exists. And the Church of England throwing a, a collar and a robe on him. They're just helping him make a mockery to 
all of England. Yeah. That, you know, Christianity is this joke religion. I mean, go and check out the picture of this guy. Yeah, it was pretty creepy. He's making a mockery of the faith. Yeah. And it even talks in the article how he likes to go out to these LGBTQ, um, you know, programs and, you know, gatherings and stuff to invite more of them, you know, into church. And, you know, they're making a mockery. They're not trying to hold people to any sort of moral standard. It's just the church. And this is that whole God loves you. Love is love. Come as you are. Jesus will accept you. But none of it has the the tone of sure, come as you are and then die to your old self and be made in the image of Christ. No, yeah. it's well, let's just twist. I mean, remember when we talked about the Oxford College? Was that what it is? When they were showing the painting of Jesus is transgendered. It's like, just throw out all of history, all of the truth of scripture. We'll just write it our own way, make a complete mockery so we can be sexually deviant. And then I can feel good like I'm wearing my priest collar. It's really satanic, I think. And shame on the Church of England. But again, we bring this up to say, don't lose focus because this isn't going to stop at the Church of England. We've already talked about the Southern Baptist Convention and the problems that they're facing and how they've allowed DIE to come in. Yeah, and I think we need to be aware. Or they um, potentially allowed them to come in, or they've opened the doorway. Hillsong has certainly let them in. Yeah, like churches like that, like these mega churches especially, are going to be the ones, <laughs> um, I think, to be compromised. Um, so I just think it's going to happen more, and we need to pray for discernment to see even the subtle um, changes. Just just beware. Just keep your eyes open where you go to church. I would just be very watchful and warn um, other people if you see it going on. Because I, I think it's going to be happen, happening a lot. Right. And this goes back to, you know, kind of what you mentioned is get in the word. You yeah. know, you've got to know what the, the Bible says in order for you to follow it. And then I guess this is the hard part for modern Americans. Don't make the Bible say what you want it to say read it for what it says. You know, I think that's one of John MacArthur's kind of quotes that he had mentioned that the point of scripture is scripture. It's whatever it says it is. Mm -hmm. The point isn't to just make it, well, I'm a non-binary weirdo named Bingo Allison. Well, well, let me make the Bible acceptable for me instead of going, my lifestyle doesn't line up with the way Christ tells me to live. So I'm going to let all of that stuff go. I'm going to be reborn. That's the idea of rebirth, right? Into somebody that's looking more and more like Christ every day. You know, and our world is just like, eh, we don't like that. Just be who you are. We'll write the Queen James Bible. You can read that and feel good about yourself. So we can't do that. Hold yourself accountable to the word. Start holding your church accountable to the word. Uh, that's where it's got to start and root this stuff out wherever you see it, whenever it pops up. The first time you see a rainbow in your church, you better make sure that's the Noahic covenant and not something else, you know, rip it off the wall until someone can verify for you that that's the I know. God's rainbow and not the pride rainbow. So uh, yeah. that's the stance I would take. So yeah, go check out the picture of this bingo Allison and pray for him. Uh, the man is lost and floundering and he's taking others to hell with him. So pray for him. Now we also mentioned Pope Emeritus. I don't know how you say it. Emer- 
emeritus, I'm assuming, Benedict, he has passed away. And do you want to just read through this? Yep. It says Pope died at 95. And Pope Emeritus Benedict, the sixth, how do you say that one? 10, 15. Pope Benedict the <laughs> I know my 15th. Roman numeral. Roman no, numeral. 16th. Pope Benedict the 16th. The 16th. Okay. Sorry about that. The 16th. Born Joseph Ratzinger. Died at the age of 95 on Saturday morning, according to a statement from the Vatican. Benedict served as Pope from 2005 through 2013. Benedict's papacy followed the hugely significant reign of John Paul II, who was perhaps the most historically significant Pope of the recent era. Benedict was widely seen as a conservative theologian who followed in many of John Paul II's footsteps. The eight years that Benedict served as Pope were tumultuous ones for the Catholic Church, which was rocked by the priest sex abuse scandals. In fact, Benedict was likely elected as Pope in part because of his perceived ability to navigate the Church through the difficult period. Benedict's resignation in 2013 was a shocking and historically rare event. Yep. So Pope Benedict has passed away at 95 and the Christian Post wrote an interesting article, five things to know about Pope Benedict. So not a Catholic show here, but Pope Benedict, Pope Francis, they're significant figures in the world and, you know, what they consider the Christian faith. So I think it's interesting. So we're just going to go through these really quickly. and. See, maybe you knew all of these things about the Pope. I knew one of them. So the first point here, it says that he declared the Latin Mass the extraordinary form of Mass. And you can read through this. It's difficult to... I had a hard time really understanding what they were saying here. But if I understand it right, he basically made it easier for priests to give mass in Latin as opposed to the local languages, which seems really weird to me to fight for that. Because why would you want a congregation to come to your church and be presented with a message in a language none of them understand? I don't Mm. understand the benefit of that. I mean, other than tradition, but they don't know what you're saying. If you're yeah. speaking Latin. Maybe some people wanted to just hear it. Well, they in the did. Original apparently language. they loved it because when Pope Francis came in, apparently this article says that he kind of overturned that ruling from Pope Benedict. And apparently there was a lot of unrest about it in Washington, D.C. Was there a translator, though? Maybe they did that and had a translator? Who knows? It doesn't say that. But that's what Pope Benedict did. He must have liked Latin and the Latin mass. So... What's point number two here? Point number two, uh, it says, Before becoming Pope, Benedict advocated for withholding communion from pro-abortion politicians. Now, this one I could certainly get behind. Mm -hmm. Uh, Don't know when he did it, but I think we should really expect and sort of demand that the people of our faith, the leaders of our faith, actually hold people accountable for the values of the faith they proclaim. You know, if you don't 
adhere or hold to the same values, they should be clear that you're an outsider, that you're outside of the, you know, the faith, the doctrines and the practices of your faith. You know, we have presidents and speakers of the house or former speakers, right, that are openly proclaim Catholicism while advocating for uh, abortion up until the point of, you know, birth, which goes against the Catholic Church, so far as I understand it, and all Christian teaching, you know, so it's good on Pope Benedict if he was actually pushing to have apparently <laughs> it didn't get anywhere. Because so yeah. far as I know, Pope or uh, President Biden is still a supposedly a practicing Catholic, he says. Nancy practicing? Pelosi. What yeah, does it practicing, mean to be practicing? Just attending now and then? I think as long as you just say it in every 35th speech, then you're considered a practicing Catholic. So um, number three here, we're going to skip number three and come back to that one at the end. But number four, it says, Benedict asked for forgiveness for clergy sexual misconduct that occurred during his leadership of a German archdiocese. And I think this is a good move. Uh, certainly he should have been, or he should have asked for forgiveness for that. Would have been great if he had gotten ahead of it in the first place, but it's better late than never. And uh, it does, you know, describe a little bit of what Pope Benedict had to say about it. But the interesting one is down here. It says, uh, the survivor's network of abused priests condemned Benedict's apology as faint and suggested that it was a continuation of the same pattern of abuse, institutional knowledge, and concealment that it viewed as definitive of the Roman Catholic Church. <laughs> and I just figure, you know, it seems so typical that, you know, someone would come out and say, we don't accept your apology. Because we yeah. live in a world today that doesn't make any room for forgiveness, especially in America. You're not, I mean, you can screw up. You're not allowed to ask for forgiveness. Nobody wants to hear it. Uh, you know, victimhood in this country, especially, but all around the world has become far too important to allow forgiveness in our society. So, you know, good on Pope Benedict if he was actually sincere about his yeah. apology. And we as Christians, we should be forgiving. If somebody comes to us and asks for forgiveness, we should be for, uh, forgiving. You know, I know the victimhood thing is enticing. Everybody seems to be wanting to be a victim today. We must reject that as Christians. We should not harden our heart. We should be forgiving, knowing that uh, we have been forgiven much ourselves. So fifth here or fourth on our list, we're coming back to number three, but fifth says Ratzinger played an instrumental role in the drafting of the final text of the catechism of the Catholic church. I did not know that there was a catechism of the Catholic church, though it makes sense. There should be, I suppose I was just unaware of it, but I'm assuming that that's probably in large part helped him get elected as Pope. I don't know what they do to elect a Pope what sort of, you know, discussions and such go on behind the scenes, but I'm sure writing their catechism, probably no small feat. So that brings us back to point number three. 
And this is the only thing I ever really knew about Pope Benedict, so I thought I'd save it for the end. And it says here, Pope Benedict became the first pope in more than 600 years to resign. Pretty staggering. And on his resignation... Uh, Did you know why he uh, I remember him discussing it at the time, you know, that basically his age and his health is why he resigned. But he says in here, Benedict concluded that in today's world, subject to so many rapid changes and shaken by questions of deep uh, relevance for the faith or for the life of faith, in order to govern the bark of, I don't know what that word is, bark of St. Peter and proclaim the gospel, both strength of mind and body are necessary. Strength, which in the last few months has deteriorated in me to the extent that I have had to recognize my incapacity to adequately fulfill the ministry entrusted to me. Mm. Boy, (laughs) wouldn't it be great if other leaders, especially in this nation, had the humility... Certain leaders... To step aside, yeah, certain leaders had the humility to step aside when they were no longer fit. But instead, we see our leaders, you know, they'll sit on the Supreme Court until they die in their robe, you know, in their 80s and 90s. We'll have people run for office after they've clearly have diminished capacities, (laughs) mental capacities. So as far as Pope Benedict... This at least appears to be an honorable move here. Yeah. Again, maybe there's more nefarious respect. purposes behind it. I don't know. But at least for what he says here and all I know, hey, I'm not healthy enough. I'm too old to do the job that's required of me. I'm going to step aside and let someone else take over the, the reins. That's commendable. I wish more leaders would be as humble and willing to let others lead as Pope Benedict at least appeared to be here. So... You know, as I mentioned, that's really the only thing I ever knew about Pope Benedict was that he resigned. And even at the time, that was pretty shocking from what I remember. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts or memories on Pope Benedict. Nope. Nope. Um, (laughs) Never, never heard anything really else about the man until now. Now I am, I I think it's worth mentioning, concern for his soul, (laughs) though it's too late for Pope Benedict. He is where he is. I'm also concerned for Pope Francis. You know, anyone that walks around carrying the mantle of sort of an apostle, Christ vicar, if you will, you know, they claim to speak infallibly. They preach a works-based salvation. You know, all those reasons, I think, are reasons to doubt and be concerned. You know, and Pope Francis is just the same, so... Pray for them like you do for anybody that seems to be lost. And uh, yeah, hopefully he comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And but again, that's Pope Benedict. If I guess you guys have any cool stories about Pope Benedict, let us know in the comments. I'm sure it'd be interesting. Cool stories. I'm a fan of history. (laughs) So but we made USAA insurance for veterans like James. When he found out how much USAA was helping members save, he said, It's time to switch. We'll help you find the right coverage at the right price. USAA. What you're made of, we're made for. Restrictions apply. All right. So in an effort to really keep this episode under three and a half hours, probably, you know, we had mentioned or we had 
intended to do our final podcast review for Generation Indoctrination. And we also wanted to talk about point number seven on our assurances of salvation. We're going to have to push those off. So hopefully we can get to those next week and add those into the episode. But we just wanted to make sure we had enough time for our Bible topic for the week, because I think it's an important topic, one that we haven't really discussed a lot here on this show. But I think it's an interesting topic to discuss. Certainly, the discussion won't end here. <laughs> you know, we're not going to put a nail in the the discussion at all. And it's not even going to really be our point here to, you know, stake a claim on one side or the other as some sort of an authority, because we certainly aren't. But if you want to just uh, read the headline, honey. An appeal to my cessationist brothers. The desire of this note is to appeal to those who hold to cessationist doctrine, who believe the miraculous gifts of the Spirit are not operational in the church today. My hope is that this does not come off as an attack, but as an appeal or open letter, perhaps opening your heart for further evaluation of continuationism. All right. Now, before we even mention anything, Make sure you like and subscribe, follow us, leave a nice review, and then come back and listen to what we have to say. So if we don't line up with your preferred side of the the aisle here, uh, you don't punish us for that later. So, um, or also, if you got a little spare change laying around and you want to buy us a coffee, go shopping for a nice Bible on christianbooks.com. We have affiliate links in the show notes. Certainly be appreciative of that as well. So for those who don't really know, there's kind of three schools of thought on this topic. You know, you have your continuationist is the point of view. This gentleman, Will uh, Vining, I believe is his name, is coming from the continuationist. And those are the ones who believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are still active in the church today. And more specifically, the gifts that he's speaking of here are the miraculous gifts. And that would be prophecy, tongue speaking and healing. I think you can get into some far, you know, more outliers who would talk more about apostleship. You know, I think even the popes, you know, they think they carry the mantle of apostle. But I think, by and large, even amongst continuationists, they would generally say the gift of apostleship is gone. But so the the big three would be prophecy, tongue speaking, and the gift of healing. And some of the famous continuationists that you may have heard of really on the more extreme ends here would be like the Benny Hinn types, right? The faith healers, you know, they have the gift of healing, they would claim, you know, but in the more mainstream, you would get guys like Wayne Grudem, who would be a continuationist. And really, if you're Pentecostal at all, you know, if you come from a Pentecostal denomination or Pentecostal faith, Really, all those denominations kind of arose out of some form or fashion or usage of the miraculous sign gifts, they would call them. So that's the first camp. The second one, who he's making an appeal to here would be the cessationists. And that would be the group that believes that the miraculous sign gifts ended with the end of the apostolic era. So basically, with the passing of the apostle John or somewhat soon after that, that these miraculous sign gifts ended, though they would still hold to the 
uh, notion that the Holy Spirit is still working and active today. He's still working the lives of believers, and they would still generally believe in God's ability to work miracles, you know, such as healings and stuff like that. But they would really just disagree with the notion that anyone today, again, since the apostol, apostolic era, or really the apostles, are walking around with these specific gifts all the time, right. you know, like the specific gift of a prophet all the time, the specific gift of tongue speaking, or the specific gift of a true healer all the time. That's what they would disagree with. And this would kind of be like your, you know, your pastors, like an RC Sproul, or we mentioned John MacArthur this morning. John MacArthur is a cessationist. So. Yeah. So I like that the, the title of this article, he says, we're all brothers in Christ. You know, we're not to be hateful toward one another. We're still in Christ. But I think, if God intends for us to have gifts, then he will grant us faith to receive them or desire them and ask for them. But we know many today desire gifts just to make a name for themselves, though. And we know we can rattle off a lot of those names. <laughs> so people supposedly operate in the gifts to speak or prophesy worldly desires into existence for themselves. Yeah. Maybe we are so worldly that the gifts would get misused. That's what I think. So how many self-proclaimed prophets do we have today? They're all over YouTube. We have them and they offer, they offer you classes on how to operate in spiritual gifts, you know, at a, a price though. So they're just exploiting the believers and it's a shame. So that kind of can make you not want anything. Yeah, you got to be careful not to. Well, and even in the apostles time, I mean, that's what Paul was writing to Corinthians for, like, hey, you're misusing the gifts. Stop misusing your gifts, you know, and they were clearly active back then. No one was disputing the fact that they were active in his day, and they're already misusing them. So yeah, yeah it would have been interesting. Maybe it was in, uh, I don't know, like, second Deuteronomy, where Moses was out <laughs> shilling to make other people profits. <laughs> I don't know if he was teaching that class, but so those are the first two camps. There is sort of a third camp where maybe most people are, I would guess, or I don't know how many would be in there, but that would kind of be those that are somewhere in the middle, you know, those, and you could think of these people kind of like a John Piper, I think is kind of a notable person like this. They don't outright discount the miraculous gifts in the church today but they also aren't fully accepting of it either. You know, they would be the ones that maybe pray, you know, for these gifts to be active in them, but they're also hesitant to accept that someone has the gift just right. on the surface, you know, or that everyone must have this gift, you know, like in a lot of Pentecostal churches today, they'll tell you that all believers should be speaking in tongues. That's a gift that every believer would have. Even these people in the middle would disagree with that and say it's not a gift for everybody, but we should pray for it. I know that's, you know, a position that John Piper would hold. So that's just kind of an upfront to kind of know where he's coming from with continuationists versus cessationists. Um, because you may not have heard those terms before, you know, it may just be more charismatic or Pentecostal or something to that effect, but that's really the three camps. So, um, the way I want to, we're not going to read through this whole article either. I just pulled out a few 
points that he discusses. It's not the longest article. It'll be linked as well. I encourage you to go read through it and familiarize yourself with it. I think it's a good read. And like Nikki mentioned, he's not attacking, which is, you know, I appreciate. He's not calling them a bunch of heretics and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's a, you know, as it says, it's an appeal for them to see his position basically. But so I just wanted to pull out a few different topics that he discusses in here or that he brings up so that we could discuss that the, mm-hmm. the stuff I thought that was interesting. So that's what we're going to do. But so, you can read through these first ones and then we'll just kind of go on through pulling out the topics we think are interesting to discuss. Okay. He says, I've noticed in my discussion with those who hold to cessationist doctrines, a few words that typically draw criticism, one particular word being experience. Now, my theology indeed is affected by experience, but this in no way ought to devalue it, if and only if it can be supported by scripture. I would like to address this rebuttal first. When I use the word experience, I am referring to a sequence of events that I've witnessed or partook in. The cessationist will argue that experience does not trump scripture, which is a sentiment both the continuationist and cessationist agree on. However, to say experience in no way can shape one's theology is misguided. So experience, and this is one of the main arguments I think that you'll hear in regards to the use and really the continued presence of miraculous gifts today. You know, a continuationist will tell you, how can you tell me that the gifts have ceased? If I speak in tongues, how can you tell me it ceased? I'm doing it. That's my experience. You know, if they tell you I've experienced prophecy or I've, I've been healed or I've seen somebody healed, right? They've experienced it. So how can you tell them that it's not true? It doesn't exist still. And I would say the problem with this argument, at least to me, is experience goes both ways, you know, because the cessationist, the one who doesn't believe in the gifts anymore, could just as easily say, well, I've never experienced it. And in fact, I've seen those very gifts you claim to be falsified or abused, you know, in the cases of the Benny Hins of the world, they've been falsified, they've been abused, you know, so if both sides can make the same argument from experience, then you would have to go to scripture. Because regardless of which side of the experience aisle you're on, it doesn't really make a difference. Your experience cannot supersede scripture. You know, if whatever you experience goes against what the Bible says, your experience is wrong. <laughs> the scripture is true, right? So if it isn't biblical, it isn't real. And yeah. both sides get to sort of claim that experience argument. So you got to go to the word and... You know, that's Mm -hmm. what they've really been doing for about 100 years, roughly, you know, the sort of Pentecostal movements really only been around for 100 years ish or so. And, you know, that's one of the, I guess, arguments the cessationist has in his, his corner, is that really since the time of the uh, apostles dying in the early church fathers, until about 1900, Nobody outside of a few outliers said that they had these miraculous gifts. It was pretty widely accepted that they had gone away. That's true. So it's only a fairly new um, 
part of the Christian faith in the last hundred years, roughly. So, yep. Um, <clears throat> all right, okay, you can so, read this next point. All right, the next point he says it's about prophecy, and he says, "In my experience, I have had many instances where I've seen prophetic words from my own utterances come to pass." For those who've had specific moments where they felt the presence of God come upon them in a dream, vision, or time of worship, it can bring them to a theological crossroad. I will say I have had prophetic dreams before myself here. (laughs) This is me talking. I have. I've dreamed. um, This was probably like 11 years ago, at least. Um, I dreamed an, an old lady. Uh, that we never heard before. She stood up at church speaking in tongues and it was in an angry tone. There was no one who stood up to interpret what she said. That morning at church, that exact thing happened. And we usually did have someone every service speak in tongues and someone else interpret it. And it was always the same two people, same person spoke in tongues and the same exact person would interpret. So I'm not sure why I dreamed that exact thing. Um, Maybe just to know there's no interpreter because maybe she was falsely speaking in tongues. That was just me seeing, okay. And I don't know if the other two people that always, you remember. Yeah. Um, We never, I don't know. We just accepted it then I didn't really um I guess I didn't think about it too much but it was just so odd that I dreamed it and that exact thing happened so I'm just thinking me God was telling me something I do have dreams sometimes but that was the most specific like on point thing that's ever happened do you remember me telling you that that I dreamed it yeah and I know you get dreams occasionally where you're not necessarily prophetic but just now, this was really weird, or I dreamed something and seemed like something similar kind of happened, or which I think a lot of people get that at some level, but yeah. that one's a very specific one, especially regarding another sort of spiritual gift, which is interesting, you know. But yeah, and I'm not saying like I have, I don't ever, I don't have the gift of, I wouldn't say I have a gift of prophecy. I just, um, because I'm not going around saying thus says the Lord, you know, anything like that. I don't know why I'm just, I don't know. I I just dream things sometimes like spiritual dreams, but that one in particular was very, I just, I don't know what to think about that. Right. And that could be where the cessate or the continuationist on this says, see, you had a prophecy about something that came to pass and the cessationist the one who doesn't believe in prophets and might say, well, yes, God worked a miracle or something or showed you something, or they may even go to a more scientific, I don't know, explanation, but whereas the person in the middle might just go, wow, yeah, it sounds like you had a prophetic dream. That's amazing. And then that's the end of it. You're not a prophet. It just made me think there are people who pretend to speak in tongues is what I concluded. Because if interpretation of tongues is a thing, then why was the interpreter of tongues not speaking up right then? Right. And we've had other friends, you know, talk about 
people standing up and speaking in tongues in church services, and then two people stand up to speak at the same time and interpret. And they're like, doesn't that seem a bit chaotic? Isn't God supposed to be a God of order? Why would he give two people an interpretation at the exact same moment? That seems confusing. If they were not the same. Right. So again, but someone in the comments on this point here that he mentions about prophecy, you know, I think they rightly pointed out the problem with this guy's statement and really all of modern day prophecy. I think you could make this point to, you know, cause he says in here, um, in my experience, I've had many instances where I've seen prophetic words from my own utterances come to pass. Well, the problem is if only many came true, that would mean at least some did not. And the Bible only has one word for prophets who prophesy and it doesn't come true. That's false prophets. You know, to be a biblical prophet, you really have to have kind of three things. Um, First, your prophecy must hold to biblical orthodoxy. You know, basically it can't go against what scripture teaches. So if you go back to our confused male Anglican pseudo priest, Bingo Allison, you know, he said God guided him away from sex, uh, the sexes uh, delineated in Genesis. So this would be false because God's not going to guide you or anyone away from the truth that he's already laid out in scripture, right? The Holy Spirit isn't going to impress on you a prophecy or a word that speaks against what the Holy Spirit's already spoken on. He's not going to contradict himself. It's making a God in your own image. It's exactly is. what it is. So, you know, in that case, I would say bingo, probably most certainly had a spiritual being guiding him. It just wasn't God. Yeah. You know, but this principle here of biblical orthodoxy for a prophet is laid out in Deuteronomy 13 verses one through five. It'll explain this, that, you can't prophesy against God's already, uh, you know, expressed word, what he's already made known. Secondly, you have to be a person of moral uprightness. So this doesn't mean necessarily that prophets, you know, even biblical prophets, they're not perfect. Nobody's perfect except Jesus, but they were men of moral uprightness. You know, so if you're a morally corrupt person, or maybe you've given over to a sinful lifestyle, you aren't a prophet. You can see even in, you know, Jesus's teachings, Matthew seven twenty, where he tells us that you'll know them by their fruit. Well, that goes for Christians, just the same as anybody who would claim to be a prophet. You're going to know them by their fruit. If they're living corrupt and sinful lives, they're not a prophet. We have so many of these people today, though, who are just so focused on on these three things but many of them are you know the ones who use grace as a license to sin like they they don't think that we should be trying to be holy and it's right i think they also an area where i think a lot of continuationists fall into is their focus is um, it's unevenly tilted towards the Holy Spirit. Yes. They're hyper-focused yeah. on the Holy Spirit when really the Holy Spirit 
I mean, his job is to sanctify us, but to point us back to Christ, you know, so when you're hyper-focused and all of your attention and focus is on the Holy Spirit and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and what he's doing in you, and you're losing sight of Christ and you're losing your focus on God, the Father and his worship, I think that's uneven. And I think that's where you find a lot of them kind of falling into an uneven sort of attention and focus on the Holy Spirit. Yeah, not that he doesn't deserve our praise and our worship and adoration. He's God. But what his mission is for to sanctify us and yeah. turn us and guide us to Christ and mold us into Christ's image, yes. I think, becomes tilted. Yeah. And they think the molding is more about operating in the gifts. Yeah. Than- like somehow more of a focus on the Holy Spirit is going to somehow. I, I don't know what it's going to do, but it just, again, that's my interpretation. What I see is a, an unequal, I guess, attention being paid to the Holy Spirit rather than Christ or, you know, and God the Father. rejecting the commands. Yeah. So. Right. Yeah. Well, then you can even get to the extremes there where, yeah, I'm, you know, somehow I'm a prophet, I'm a, a faith healer, whatever, but you're living a morally corrupt lifestyle. Yeah. That's what I mean. You no, know, you've. You know, you could probably go to the churches in Revelation, right? You've lost your first love. You've fallen away. Exactly. All those sorts of things. So, but thirdly, on this guy's discussion on prophecy and what a a prophet should have. So we talked about biblical orthodoxy, moral uprightness. And thirdly, you know, and again, where this gentleman, I think, gets in trouble, at least with this statement your prophecy must be 100% true at all times. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 20 through 22 makes this clear. Um, Inaccurate or incorrect prophecy equals false prophet. And the Bible explains that false prophets are evil. They're not just incorrect, they're evil men. So if this man says that only most of his prophecies or many of his prophecies have come true, then we would have to label him as a false prophet and evil. And again, Jesus also makes proclamations about these folks in Matthew chapter seven as well. You know, he talks about those who have prophesied in my name and he calls them lawless, right? And he sends them away. So if you're prophesying against biblical orthodoxy, if you're morally corrupt, sinful, or your prophecies are not 100% accurate, you're not a prophet. And you're probably evil (laughs) because you're prophesying, you know, thus saith the Lord incorrectly. And that's not a place you want to be. Teachers that people with itching ears are heaping up. Absolutely. That's who you are. So he moves on in here down to the gift of tongues. And this is a quote from him. He says, he says, pertaining to the gift of tongues, when this particular gift of the spirit operates in its capacity, I feel it triggers some of the soul's most intimate prayers and is in a way hidden communication to the father, a language only the believer in the Trinity can distinguish. Of course, enabled by the Holy Spirit, Even the believer has trouble distinguishing what his own spirit is yearning. Yet the father perfectly understands. Yes, I'm speaking of tongues as a hidden language, 
but I'm also aware of the ability to speak in a foreign tongue. It what stood out to me there is how <laughs> he makes his case by stating, I feel. He says, I feel it triggers some of the soul's most intimate prayers. And I just think we need to be careful um, trying to make an argument for scripture based on how we feel. Yeah, and this is a point that the cessationist would make. You know, the cessationist would tell you that scripture does not support a private prayer language. And this is really the only area that you see tongue speaking in use today is a prayer language. I think widely it's pretty much accepted. I don't know anybody who's really arguing that they are uh, going out and speaking in real foreign languages anymore. And the cessationists will tell you tongues in the Bible, every time it's used, it's used to describe a real foreign language that the person speaking in didn't know, which is why you would need an interpreter. Now, again, modern tongue speakers will say, well, no, this is a private prayer language as well. And again, so now both people have that argument. You're going to have to go to scripture and see uh, what it supports. And really, where they're going to go for this is 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14, where Paul is trying to correct the Corinthians on their use of tongues and interpretations. And, you know, again, that's where you're going to see, again, most of the time what this guy said. I'm assuming this guy mm -hmm. might be saying, I understand, you know, tongues can also mean foreign languages. Mm-hmm. I don't know that he's saying he's ever spoken in a foreign language when speaking tongues. Yeah, I don't think that he's saying that at all. I don't know anybody who actually has ever spoken in a foreign language. It's like the gift of tongues today to everybody is that private prayer language. And so is the so would they say the gift of tongues in another language has ceased? Because nobody hears of that anymore. Yeah. So but yeah, I mean, I don't know. You know, I, I haven't heard. I've never read a story or anything where a missionary has gone out or at least not. Yeah, no, I've never read one that I can think of where a missionary has gone out to a foreign country and just spoken fluently in that language. But sure. Yeah. Again, but everybody's by and large, got... tongues in today's modern church, which is even weird because he talks about a private prayer language, but it's most often used corporately, corporately yes. in the church. And stuff like that. So, yeah. you know, maybe a bit of dis disagreement there. But yeah. the last point that I want to bring up in this article here is a point that he mentions about, uh, about, yeah, let me see three if I can find qualities it. about it. Yeah, the three qualities. Yeah. Do you want to read that? It says, what makes the miraculous gifts different is they're strange and require three qualities, faith, humility, discernment, faith in the sense that one must believe these gifts do operate in the modern church. One must believe they actually operate or should not expect to see anything miraculous. Yeah, so we're just going to focus on this first point here. Uh, I don't know if we'd have a bunch of pushback against being humble and having discernment. That's probably something all Christians should do regardless of spiritual gifts or not. But 
this first per, or first point here on faith, you know, he says here that faith is what allows them the ability to experience the miraculous sign gift. And then if you come down in this article, just a little ways, he talks in here about, or he says the catch 22 in this case is that cessationist will not experience the miraculous because their faith does not make room for it. And this just simply isn't true, in my opinion, you know, but I think it's so often a cover for really the false use or the misuse of a miraculous gift. You know, if it's a prophecy, a healing, or even speaking in tongues, if that doesn't, you know, prove true, or it doesn't take effect in you, the healing or the tongue speaking, you know, it doesn't take effect in your life. Well, it isn't because of the pastor or the teacher, whoever is trying to impart this gift. It's not because their gift is wrong. It's because your faith is weak. You know, if you only believed like Benny Hinn, well, then you would have been healed. So it's really your fault. And I just disagree with that entirely. Yeah, me too. I think I think this person who wrote the article, they're probably of the mindset that all people could be healed. And the reason they aren't, like you said, is because they don't have enough faith. So I just think about the man who said to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief, you know, and he got what he asked for. And we can be like that, recognize our our little faith we have, but help us, Lord, like I believe you. And he had faith that Jesus could heal, even though his own faith was weak. And I'm sure all those in attendance at, you know, the Jesse Duplantis healings conference we've been to, they had faith. You know, they saw people, they went up to get healed, but I know a lot of people who were there who did not get a healing and neither did their children. Children have faith, right? So I just conclude he's a false teacher. So I've come across many false teachers, prophets in the types of churches we've attended over the years, just moving around the country because of the military. But I don't want this to cause me to despise gifts, though. Um, I believe Jesus still heals. And we have we have the already written word that is profitable for teaching, correction, instruction and righteousness. So prophecy is speaking what the Lord has said. So when you use his word to correct, are you in a sense prophesying saying the Lord has already spoken and it's to all of us right here in this Bible? What do you think? <laughs> well, and you know, we love the Puritans here. And that was, you know, I think a famous Puritan book they wrote, I think Richard Baxter, maybe it was called The Art of Prophesying. And it was a preaching manual, you know, because they're mm. prophesying in the Puritan mindset. In the Puritan day, the 1700s was preaching the word of God. We're speaking to you the revealed prophecy or the revealed word of God. So it was just they called it prophesying, but it was preaching you know, in their mindset. So, you know, but on the idea of faith, you know, the Bible tells us that faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of God. That's Romans chapter 10, verse 17. You know, so even right off the bat, if your people are lacking faith, it could be because you aren't proclaiming the words of scripture adequately for their faith to grow. And then secondly, saying our faith is in some way, or our faith can some way limit God. 
I think is ludicrous. Yeah. Because even, I mean, God is the one who gives us faith. <laughs> you know, yeah. we can't even have faith apart from God. And it's God through the Holy Spirit that increases our faith. And we recognize our little faith and we can ask God for more faith. That is something we can pray. Yeah, we can pray it. God gives us faith. God increases our faith. We can pray for more faith. God, you know, that's a prayer he will answer. So in effect, you're saying that really God's getting in his own way to prevent you (laughs) from working the gift God. So the faith that God gave you is too small to receive the gift God wants to give you. Exactly. That's insane to think on. So that's weird. And then even in the Bible speaks on this. I mean, how much faith did the widow Nain and her dead son have when Jesus came along and raised him from the dead? Well, if you're dead, you can have no faith. (laughs) You're just dead. So God can certainly work through our faith, but our faith can't nullify God. Because if that was the case, then no one would ever be saved. Because we're all dead in our sins and trespasses. It takes God through the working of the Holy Spirit to even give us faith to be saved in the first place. So if you're saying without faith, God can't work, well, then we're all damned to hell. Because <laughs> How can he get past our unbelief and our, yeah. our non-faith, right? It's, it's ludicrous to think. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So God is pleased when we have faith in Christ So for salvation. And, and so he gives he, us faith in Christ. Exactly. Yeah. He, he gives us that faith. Well, yeah. and that's, you know, we talk a lot about sovereignty and that's just a, I think, a misunderstanding, I suppose, or a refusal to accept the idea of God's sovereignty and our salvation and our sanctification. It's his doing (laughs) in us. You know, he brings us from dead to death to life. He gives us faith. He increases our faith. You know, he sanctifies us throughout our life. So again, the idea that you don't have enough faith and that somehow prevents God you know, God's preventing himself in that case, which is It kind nonsense. of turns faith into like a, a work. Like I'm not doing enough or, you know what I mean? Like a guilt. You don't have enough faith to be healed and you're just. Yeah. Maybe you like, go and see the priest. He'll tell you to fast for three days, say 47 Hail Marys, and then you'll have more faith and you'll have penance. Faith comes by hearing the word so of God. It's yeah. ludicrous. But I also think it's a shameful thing to say. I think it's a shameful argument. Mm-hmm. to use on people who for the most part are probably seeking this supposed prophet or supposed healer because they're in need. Yeah. You know, you don't go to a faith healer cause everything's going great with you. You're like, Oh, I just need a, a 50 inch vertical. My 49 inch just isn't high enough. And you, you know that the, these supposed faith healers, when you see miracles, even if they're fake, it still makes you hopeful. So I feel like a lot of people, all these people do have faith. They really believe God is going to heal them. So it doesn't make sense to say that they don't have enough faith. Right. It doesn't make sense to say you had enough faith to get in your car and go to the Jesse DePlantis conference, walk up to the stage when he calls you, but then somehow your faith prevents you from actually receiving the healing. Right. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. And again, I think it's shameful, uh, you know, to go through all of that and then get told, well, son, daughter, you lack the faith that you need to get healed. Mm. I think it's shameful. And again, 
uh, probably sinful on that person's part, but. Or even people who are still in sin, like, well, I must have done something sinful or um, so God's not going to heal me because he, Jesus healed people who like he healed the 10 lepers and only one came back to thank him. Like he didn't. It right. wasn't his even healing if you were was really even apart from his salvation. Right. The nine lepers went away healed. One of them got healed and saved. So he saved yeah. all of them, you know, apart from even saving them. Yeah, so he healed them. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, really my point is we kind of get near the end here and bringing this article up is one to kind of expose you to the argument. If you're unaware of it, you know, a lot of people are just, they go to church, but they're not really wrapped up in theological discussions and these sorts of things. They just go to church and, uh, you know, continuationist churches are more on the rise. So odds are you're going to a church, you know, that they speak in tongues and you, maybe you just don't really think much about it, but there is another two other sides of that aisle, I suppose. Um, and secondly, really to point out that, with exceptions of the extremes of sort of the Benny Hins of the world, or as Nikki mentioned, Jesse DePlantis's of the world, I think we can still disagree whether you are a continuationist or a cessationist and still be brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, this is not something we should let divide us. This isn't an argument that should separate us. You know, they are important discussions and we do want to get to the truth. The truth should not just be sort of brushed past but it shouldn't divide us. You know, famously, John Piper, who is kind of that middle of the road continuationist, and John MacArthur, who is a pretty hard and fast cessationist, are great friends. And they present at conferences together, though they differ on this topic of miraculous gifts. It doesn't, you know, put a hard wall between them. So I just wanted to make that point clear. And I think it's important to see from a continuationist side of the aisle as well saying, Hey, you know, we're brothers. I just, you know, he's making an appeal, which I appreciate. We should all be appealing to each other with what we believe and not be afraid to say it, you know, yeah. but you know, Nikki and I, we grew up in a charismatic faith and most of the Christians that we know and the ones that we interact with are continuationists. They believe in the miraculous gifts and, you know, we're probably never going to be invited back to Thanksgiving dinners, but we no longer really would consider ourselves continuationists. You know, we grew up that way. But I would say we've moved more away from that, maybe more into the cessationist camp. But, you know, and I even go to the master seminary. So I grew up charismatic. Still spend a lot of my time speaking with, praying with, praying for charismatic Christians but that didn't stop me from going to the master seminary, which is John MacArthur seminary, you know, if you're unfamiliar. Um, and I wouldn't question the faith of my friends and family who are still continuationist. I don't doubt their faith or their sincerity towards God at all. Um, right. Even yeah. if I am now beginning to disagree with how they did interpret the Bible at some level, because again, they would disagree with me as well. And I think that's okay. But I just think this point's important here because our world is growing too wicked and we have very real and very wicked enemies um, that we are 
I guess, in contention with. We don't need to be making enemies of our brothers and sisters in the same body of Christ. I think that's foolish. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I just wanted to bring up just, you know, I know it's an experience, but, um, you know, people have prayed for us and, and we have been healed. But I am I'm not saying that we are healed because that person had a gift. It was because we went before God and we asked for, for healing. And there's a difference. Someone having a gift, you don't need to go to a person with the gift of healing to be healed. You can go straight to God and ask him. Just like um, the Apostle Paul asked God three times for his, um, what do you call it, the thorn in the flesh to be removed. And God said, no. He said, my Grace is sufficient for you. Um, he didn't have someone with the gift of healing come and um, remove that. God does say no sometimes, but um, uh, I mean, there was a time God did heal me. Maybe I brought this up before. I may have. Um, I was all alone. I think Spencer was you were out of town doing some training, and kids were really little, like two years old, and we had you know, almost a one-year-old as well. But yeah, I, I, I had like a severe sinus infection, pounding, headache, migraine. Um, I was miserable. That was like the most pain I've ever been in being sick. And I didn't, I didn't like say, I declare my healing or I, I command sickness to leave in the name of Jesus. I wasn't, even though I was brought up, <laughs> you know, learning to pray or take authority over or activate my faith. Um, I didn't do any of that. It didn't even like occur to me to pray that way for some reason. Um, I simply asked God to heal me I was laying on the couch, all miserable, feeling sorry for myself. And I just, you know, I was just tired. I was like, nothing's working. Like I'm, I was desperate. I knew I knew that God was the only answer. Like I knew it wasn't going to, it wasn't going to go away. And I just said a, a short prayer, like, God, please heal me right now. I did say right now. I did, but I didn't expect it to be right now. And I said, in Jesus name, please. And it was, it was like immediate. It just like, I could feel it just like disappearing. I could breathe through my nose it just went away and the headache was gone. I had like this energy. I think I was all excited though. I was like, is this really happening? And so God healed me. I went right to him, his child in need, and he had compassion on me. So there's miracles. And I don't want, I just don't want anyone to say there's no miracles today. I don't want there to be any confusion on what we're saying. Um, someone with the gift of healing versus like, yes, there's still healing. God still answers right, our I prayers. I still think healing still works through. I mean, the Bible does tell us to lay our hands on the sick and they will be healed. And so that's still there. But again, we would say, is that someone with a gift of healing or is that God using his hands and feet in the world to bring about his healing? You know, because I've been healed as well. I mean, ask my mom about when I was a child and my thumb was, you know, completely smashed in a door and you know, that sort of stuff. So, 
yeah, I mean, we wouldn't certainly say miracles don't exist or that words of knowledge towards people don't exist right, and right. that sort of stuff, you know, but yeah, really, <laughs> we were talking about it today, just kind of going off on a side because we mentioned Jesse Duplantis. That I think was the nail in the coffin for us both as really charismatics and continuationist. You know, we went to a Jesse Duplantis sort of conference because the church we went to, which was charismatic, but not over the top. They invited right. Jesse Duplantis in and we we're like, eh, don't know who he is. We'll go check it out. And it was just so gaudy and like so in your face. And what I thought was so blatantly heretical Yeah, that it, you know, yeah. just really started the wheels of us. That was like, there's no way this is Christian. There's no way that this guy... I just remember it was like he was having a running conversation with God in his mind. That's what I was thinking. Of. And what made me think about it later on was like, he's almost, you know, his, the way he presented it is that he's having this sort of running conversation and almost like he's speaking over God, that God somehow trying to be like, Hey, Jesse, no, 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 listen, Hey, Hey, okay. You're done. Yeah. Let me tell like, God's trying to get a word in instead of what we read in the Bible when God speaks and, you know, people shudder and, you know, it's awe and wonder. Instead, it's like, God, hold on, hold on. I'm telling them something important here. I got this new watch. Wait, what'd you say? Like completely heretical. And that really started us. So yeah. again, experience works both ways. <laughs> you know, yeah. our experience yeah, yeah. could have tilted us, but we've had great experiences as well. Again, most of our friends and family uh, but I just think it's an important thing to open yourselves up to and then realize you don't have to be, you know, completely separated from someone who has an, a different view right. on or completely, you know, that because they believe in the gift of tongues, that means everything else they believe in the Bible is complete nonsense. No, <laughs> it doesn't have to mean that, right? Because these are discussions that have been going on for 100 years like we mentioned, that's kind of when this modern Pentecostalism has started. So it's not new and it's not going away tomorrow. Um, so you need to find a way to build relationships and foster relationships. And these people still love God, whether they don't believe in miraculous gifts. You know, a lot of times the argument is, ah, they're putting the Holy Spirit in a box or they don't, you know, it's not any of that. You know, it's just they don't believe in it the same way you do because they don't think scripture supports that right so i think it's important to make that understanding and this article i think does well and just to kind of know that those other arguments those other people are out there and they're brothers and sisters just the same unless mm -hmm. you're like the jesse duplantis uh, he i would say is a heretic and should be called out as such yeah that one is just too opinion. obvious i don't think there's any <laughs> argument with that so but i yeah i mean looking back I mean, this another amazing. This one's even cooler. So Spencer's mom was praying that we would have twin boys because I always said I wanted twin boys, but I didn't think, you know, it was just something I said and I didn't know she was like praying for it. And then she was like joking and saying, I'm going to have, she just kept saying it. So, you know, we go to find out, you know, if it's a boy or a girl, then we realize there's twin boys in there. And I was like 22 weeks. I waited till you got back from your trip to get an ultrasound. So I was pretty far along. 
And I, I did say that I was like, your mom spoke them into existence. <laughs> I was like, she prayed for them and probably did. And I, I was crying. I was so happy. And, and I just like, God answers prayers like that, that, and it wasn't for like a healing and it wasn't like a great need. It was just a, a desire and it's just a blessing, a blessing. And so I think whatever, yeah, you ask God, don't. Yeah. Don't doubt. Just keep, just ask God, even for those good desires you have. It's been yeah. a blessing. <laughs> yeah. There's our big takeaway. Whatever side of the aisle you fall on, <laughs> pray because <laughs> yeah. God answers prayer. Yes. Uh, that's the important <laughs> takeaway. So do you have any final thoughts, honey, on this article here? Anything we've discussed um, to this point before we get into our sermon recommendation? I think just in talking about all the, you know, the negative things and the good things, because we're, you know, laughing, we have joy. Um, this is fellowship in the spirit, looking back on the good things God has done in our lives and that we should do that more with believers as, um, because that brings us together, talking about the goodness of God in our lives, whether it be like miracles or just family, just blessings, just us caring for one another's needs, you know, and just focus on that being, um, taking care of one another. And like I said, we're just full of joy talking about what God has done instead of being, don't let the double divide us. There's too much to divide us. And we have to hold on to that common faith that we have um, our salvation in Christ and talk about all the good things he's done for us. Yeah. That's what I would say, you know, especially on this topic of, you know, gifts and stuff, whatever your discussions happen to be about this, try to have them be in love, be gentle, be gracious, whatever side of the aisle you fall on, because we tend to have a, you know, we, a lot of people tend to take the, sort of point of view that they're somehow being attacked or their beliefs are being attacked or whatever it is, whenever these discussions pop up and try to avoid that, you know, try to walk in love, try to understand the other person's point of view, you know, whatever side of the camp you fall on, try to go to scripture, try to make your case to that, but do it lovingly. Again, we don't want to burn br bridges with brothers and sisters in the faith that we need in this world. Yeah. You know, we have enough wickedness to fight. We don't need to be fighting and isolating ourselves from the body of Christ. So right. have the discussions. They're certainly important. And there is certainly a right or wrong camp, I would say, <laughs> you know. But you're wrong. You're in the wrong camp if you're hating one another. Yeah, you're, you're certainly wrong. So yeah. these are good discussions to have. And they're worth having. Like all things in you know, issues of faith, they're worth discussing and trying to get to the truth of God's word, but not to the point where you're isolating and getting in arguments and driving a wedge. I think you've gone too far if that's the case. So um, we do want to end with our sermon recommendation. And that's going to be we mentioned Andrew Rappaport earlier in the show. And we're going to recommend his podcast here. It was a bonus episode that he did on the rap report. And it's on the topic of superintending, the doctrine of superintending, not being in charge of a school district, <laughs> but the doctrine of superintending. And he kind of labels it as the solution 
to the Calvinism versus Arminianism debate, which is really free will versus God's sovereignty. You know, how do we settle the argument between these two? Well, he says it's superintending. And I listened to it, really good podcast. Uh, I tend to agree with most things that Andrew Rappaport says. And I think this one was a really well laid out argument for the case of superintending. So if you never heard of the doctrine, or even if you have, go give it a listen. You may shed some light on a new aspect. But while you're there, subscribe, Christian Podcast uh, community. We'd certainly appreciate it. But that is all we got. We will be back on Monday. We're continuing to walk through the book of Luke. Really enjoyed getting back into the book of Luke after the holidays. So come check those out. And then we'll be back Saturday with the Religionless Christianity podcast. Maybe reviewing our uh, generation indoctrination. Maybe getting to assurance of salvation. We'll have to see what the world throws at us. But that's all we got. God bless. For America's climate goals, investing in clean energy adds up. But what doesn't add up is an additionality requirement for clean hydrogen. Additionality would put an unnecessary and inequitable burden on domestic clean hydrogen producers and have serious consequences for America. America needs clean hydrogen, but an additionality requirement just doesn't add up. Get the facts at cleanhydrogentoday.org. Paid for by the Fuel Cell and Hydrogen Energy Association. The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Border Patrol agents enjoy great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. If you are looking for a way to serve something greater than yourself, consider the U.S. Border Patrol. Learn more online at cbp.gov slash careers slash USBP. That's cbp.gov slash careers slash USBP.